Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the audio ministry of Lighthouse Baptist Church in Schenectady, New York. For more great content, please visit us at lighthousebaptist.org. Now let's open our hearts and minds to the Word of God. Go ahead and and share again. Um, I think, as was said, most of you know us. Uh, We know most of you. but we are Scott and Tina Sandy from Valley Bible Baptist Church over in Cobleskill, not far from here. The ministry, of course, is Northeast Baptist Seedline, and, and our church, formerly of Middleburg, now in Cobleskill, has partnered with you guys for many, many years, uh, putting the scriptures together. Of course, we partner with Bearing Precious Seed, the printing ministry there in Milford, Ohio, ministry of First Baptist Church there. They do all the printing of the scriptures and of the covers, and then we bring them in and... and uh, So I work with churches on a couple of different levels. I've got churches that don't actually have their own equipment, but just kind of do like a once a year project where I take the equipment and the scriptures and the trailer and set it up over the course of of a weekend. And and I'm out about, you know, pre-2020, I was averaging about 30 times a year out doing projects like that. Of course, in 2020, I was only able to be out 18 times total. Uh, Last year was 24 scripture projects, and now this year uh, it looks like 30 will be the number again. This was number 28, and I have two more scheduled for the next two weekends, and uh, and so 30 scripture projects this year. Uh, Of course, some churches like you guys have your own equipment, work on a regular basis throughout the year, and uh, are able to have it more as a regular ministry of your church as opposed to just a once a year emphasis Um, it's more of a regular ongoing ministry and so that's a blessing as well and there's a number uh, a handful of churches uh, that work with us at at that uh, planted level and uh, and so we're thankful for every church though that is involved in putting the scriptures together i mean it's over half a million john and romans each year that get assembled by our ministry. And of course, that's just part of uh, the millions that Bearing Precious Seed prints every year. Uh, I probably shared this before, but in 2020, they commemorated the printing of the 200 millionth scripture portion there at Bearing Precious Seed. Uh, they've been printing since 1973. And so next year, it'll be 50 years that First Baptist Church has printed uh, the Word of God. And over, over the course of that time, well over 200 million Bibles, New Testaments, and John and Romans have been printed uh, by that ministry. Uh, Our ministry, Northeast Baptist Seedline, will reach, um, uh, or or I should say, uh, did reach this year uh, 35 years that we have partnered with Bearing Precious Seed. And so uh, that goes back into the late 1980s when our church first got involved under Pastor John Mills and Brother Tom Tennant. Some of you remember those guys. And uh, the ministry has continued on. And and over the course of the uh, 35 years or so that our church has been involved, I don't have exact numbers, um, but it's probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 13 million John and Romans or perhaps even more that have been produced just by our network here in the Northeast. And of course, you guys are part of that, having produced um, over half a million yourselves in, in the years that you have been involved. This year, we have assembled scriptures in eight different languages. Let me see if I can remember them all. Of course, English and Spanish, which we regularly work on uh, throughout the year. We also did Hungarian. I think you guys did Hungarian earlier in the year. 
uh, we brought in just a few Ukrainian and, and assembled those. Uh, we brought in a few German uh, to finish up the German project. And I don't remember if you guys, did you guys get some of the German this year or was that before? It was this year? Okay. So uh, the, the Hungarian, the Ukrainian, uh, the German, English and Spanish, of course we have some Italian, a little bit of Italian, and um, so that means I'm missing two. Oh, uh, we had a little bit of French Creole at the very beginning of the year that we were finishing up. Did you guys do some of that for Haiti, French Creole for Haiti? It was just a small amount that I brought in. Um, and I can't remember the eighth language, I'm sorry. Whatever it was, it was just a few thousand of something, I think, that was left over from another project that, that we brought in and, and got right back, I can't remember. But uh, it looks like though we are bringing in some more English as well as some Korean and some Russian. Uh, I'll have to wait a little bit on the Russian cover, so we'll do the Korean first. So when you guys are done with the few bundles of Spanish that are left downstairs, uh, you'll have Korean John and Romans to work on. And then after that, probably some of the Russian will still be available uh, for you guys. And then uh, there's a good probability that uh, they are going to print a whole container's worth of Bulgarian John and Romans for missionary Nick Malucci over in Bulgaria. And if they print that at the end of this year or right at the beginning of the year, like they are hoping to, then that means I'll be bringing in probably 100 or 120,000 Bulgarian. And uh, that would ideally carry us well into uh, the first few months of 2023. And so it's crazy to think that we're already looking at 2023 right around the corner. And so, uh, but you know, the Bearing Precious Seed is still printing and we're still assembling and uh, you guys are still working and you know, the Lord hasn't come back yet. I think every year that I come here and give an update and preach, I make some mention at some point during the sermon that the Lord is soon returning. And that's true. Even though I've been saying that now for several years, a number of years, uh, the Bible says, I mean, Jesus himself says, behold, I come quickly. I mean, Paul writes uh, uh, in Romans chapter 15 that the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. And then John, in the beginning of Revelation, he has shown things that must shortly come to pass, right? We know that Satan is ultimately and finally bruised under Christ's feet when Christ returns at his second coming. And then John, of course, has shown those things. So you put those references together. And even 2,000 years ago, they were considered things that would shortly come to pass. So obviously God's calendar is a little different from our calendar. But then again, when you think about the fact that a thousand years is as a day and a day is as a thousand years with the Lord, it's only been a couple of days since he made those, those statements in Romans and in Revelation. But we know that Christ is returning soon. We know that he has promised that he will return and we know that it will be soon, but he hasn't come back yet. And so that means we still have a job to do. We still have scriptures to produce. We still have the word of God to preach. We still have people to share the gospel with. And we still have the ministries of the local church to engage in and all of those things. We are to continue in and to stay faithful in and to, uh, as Jesus said, occupy till I come. I mean, basically, we are to stay busy serving the Lord until he returns or until he calls us individually home. And so uh, just praise the Lord for the opportunity that he gives us to serve him. We're going to be in 1 Samuel 14 this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 14. 
starting in verse 1. 1 Samuel 14 and verse 1, the Bible says, Now it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said unto the young man that bears armor, Come and let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he told not his father. And Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. And the people that were with him were about 600 men. So there's Saul, and, and he's there, and, and he's under the tree, and there's Jonathan, and he decides that he's going to go over to the Philistines' garrison. If you would uh, skip ahead to verse 6. Jonathan said to the young man that bears armor, Come, let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. And his armor bearer said unto him, Do all that is in thine heart. Turn thee, behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. Then said Jonathan, Behold, we will pass over unto these men, and we will discover ourselves unto them. If they say thus unto us, Tarry until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place, and will not go up unto them. But if they say thus, Come up unto us, then we will go up, for the Lord hath delivered them into our hand, and this shall be a sign unto us. And both of them discovered themselves unto the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Behold, the Hebrews come forth out of the holes where they had hid themselves. And the men of the garrison answered Jonathan and his armor-bearer and said, Come up to us, and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said unto his armor-bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord hath delivered them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up upon his hands and upon his feet, and his armor-bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan, and his armor-bearer slew after him. And that first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor-bearer made was about twenty men, within, as it were, an half-acre of land, which a yoke of oxen might plow. And, it was, and there was trembling in the host, in the field, and among all the people, the garrison and the spoilers, they also trembled. And the earth quaked, so it was a very great trembling. And the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude melted away, and they went on beating down one another." Then said Saul unto the people that were with him, Number now, and see who is gone from us. And when they had numbered, behold, Jonathan and his armor-bearer were not there. And Saul said unto Ahiah, Bring hither the ark of God, for the ark of God was at that time with the children of Israel. And it came to pass, while Saul talked unto the priest, that the noise that was in the host of the Philistines went on and increased. And Saul said unto the priest, Withdraw thine hand. And Saul and all the people that were with him assembled themselves, and they came to the battle. And behold, every man's sword was against his fellow, and there was a very great discomfiture. Moreover, the Hebrews that were with the Philistines before that time, which went up with them into the camp from the country round about, even they also turned to be with the Israelites that were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, all the men of Israel, which had hid themselves in Mount Ephraim, when they heard that the Philistines fled, even they also followed hard after them in the battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed over unto Beth-Avon. Let's pause for a word of prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. Lord, I pray now that as we look into your word that you'd speak to us. I pray that uh, your word would go forth and do a work in each one of our hearts. Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity not only to serve you, but to know you, Lord, to walk with you. And I pray that you would help us to stay faithful in that which you've called us to do. I pray that if there be anyone here today that does not know you as Savior, Lord, may, be, may today be the day of salvation. And Lord, I pray that your will would be done in this service. I pray that your word would go forth and speak to us. And Lord, again, we thank you for it. We love you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
As we look in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 14, of course, this is an account of a battle that took place ultimately between the children of Israel and the Philistines. And uh, in these verses that we read, we read about Jonathan, we read about Saul, and we read about the men of Israel. And what's interesting is anytime you read the Old Testament, when you read these accounts and these stories of things that took place, the Bible tells us in the New Testament, Paul writes, these things were written for examples to us. In other words, we read the Old Testament, and yes, it is a historical account of something that took place. And it also, in many cases, in fact, really in, in, in all cases, there will be doctrinal truth and teaching, much of it prophetic, that is contained there in the Old Testament. And we looked at some of that even this morning in the Sunday school hour. But we can also draw application to ourselves. These are given to us for examples. All scripture is, uh, is, uh, is, is inspired by God, for all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine and for reproof and for correction and for instruction in righteousness. And so we can go to any passage of scripture and we can draw some, some, some truth for us today. And so oftentimes in the Old Testament, it comes in the form of types or pictures. And I think we see that here because as I read through this chapter, uh, it looked like we could identify, if you will, four groups of people. And the way we would apply that today would be four types of Christians. The children of Israel, of course, are in a covenant relationship with God. They are the children of God. They are the people of God. They know God. They have the word of God and all of those things. Well, today, we as New Testament believers, as members of local churches, we are in a relationship with God. We have the word of God. And so uh, we can see here pictures that illustrates what I believe would be four types of Christians today. I want you to notice back in verse 2, you know, the, the armies are gathered and they've, they've, they're, they're gathered in array against one another. But here in verse 2, we're introduced to Saul in this particular passage. And it says, Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree and were with him about 600 men. So the first group that we see here, we see those that just kind of sit around and do nothing. I know the Bible doesn't specifically state that, Paul, or that Saul was sitting, but when I picture him under that pomegranate tree, I just kind of picture him sitting there. I mean, there's the children of Israel, there's the Philistines over there, there's a battle to be fought, but Saul's not doing anything at this point. He's just kind of there, and, and he's sitting under the tree. He's got 600 men with him. The Bible says he is tarrying there in the uttermost, now, I'm not sure what he's waiting on. Maybe he's waiting on a word from the Lord. We know how that went in the life of Saul. You can read about his dealings with Samuel the prophet. And uh, would it be fair to say that maybe it's a little out of character for Saul to wait upon the Lord? I mean, we have a count of where Saul waited and got impatient and then took matters into his own hands, right? So here he's basically just sitting there. He's sitting around and he's doing nothing. And would you not agree that perhaps that... Uh, there are a lot of Christians today that are born again, that know the Lord as Savior, but they're just busy doing nothing, sitting around, not really accomplishing anything, not moving forward, just finding a pomegranate tree to kind of sit under and just sitting around doing nothing. Uh, we have a lot of that in our world today. We have a second group that's seen in verse 21. The second group, it says, Moreover, the Hebrews that were with the Philistines, before that time, 
which went up with them into the camp from the country round about, even they also turned to be with the Israelites that were with Saul and Jonathan. Now, anytime I read these passages and anytime I read in the Old Testament about the Israelites and the Philistines, I always picture all the Israelites on this side and all the Philistines on this side because they're enemies and they're always fighting with each other, right? But verse 21 tells us that some of the Hebrews were actually with the Philistines. And that's not something that we often think about. But what does it picture? Well, it pictures for us the type, the second group are those that have gone off into the world. This would represent true born-again believers, Christians, who are genuinely saved, and yet, for whatever reason, they've gone off into the world. They've, they've been allured by the, uh, the attraction of the world, and uh, they've turned their back on the things of God, and they've gone off to live in the world. We see that pictured here with the Philistines, a picture of the world. Uh, Egypt in the Bible is often a picture of the world. And, uh, of course, what did the children of Israel wanted, want to do after they had left Egypt? They wanted to go back, right? It would picture someone backsliding, if you will, going back into those things that they've left behind. Unfortunately, there are some that do that. And so we have a group of those that just kind of sit around and do nothing. We have a group of those that have gone off into the world. And they don't care for the things of God, but they're living out in the world. We have a third group, number three, verse 22. It says, likewise, all the men of Israel, which had hid themselves in Mount Ephraim. When they heard that the Philistines fled, even they also followed hard after them to the battle. So apparently some of the Israelites, they weren't with Saul under the pomegranate tree. They weren't with the Philistines, but they were in hiding. They were hiding in Mount Ephraim. What were they hiding from? Well, probably hiding from the Philistines. If you read ahead a couple chapters, you'll find a Philistine named Goliath. Now he's not mentioned here, but we know that Goliath was a warrior. We know that he fought in battles. I'm sure that battle and where he ultimately met his demise at the hands of David was not his first. Is it really that big of a stretch to think that maybe Goliath and some Philistine giants were present here at this time as part of this army? I have no doubt that the Israelites knew very well about the giants that were part of the Philistines' army. Maybe they even had heard of Goliath up to this point, though he presents himself there in chapter 17 on the battlefield. Stands to reason that maybe he's, he or some of the other giants, as mentioned later in First and Second Samuel, are around at this time. In other words, the point is this, though, that something's got them scared. Something's got them in hiding. And it pictures a third group, if you will, those that are afraid, those that are hiding. You look around at the world today and at everything that's going on, sometimes it can be kind of scary. And what is it tempting sometimes to do? Just to, just to hide. And, and some do that. But then there's a fourth group. If you go all the way back to verse 1, Jonathan says to his armor bearer, come, let us go over to the Philistines garrison that is on the other side. And that Jonathan and his armor bearer would represent this fourth group, those that get something done for the Lord. There's always a remnant, and sometimes it's small. You have Saul and at least 600 men sitting under the pomegranate tree. You have, I don't know how many with the Philistines, and I don't know how many in hiding, but stands to reason that we're talking thousands of Israelites, and yet how many went up to take on the Philistines? Two. Two guys. One says, let's go, and one says, I'm with you. 
By the way, we're not given the name of the armor bearer, but that's okay. He doesn't need to be named because honestly, the armor bearer could represent every one of us. When someone says go, we just need maybe to be the guy that says, hey, I'll follow you. You've heard from the Lord. You're going to do something for the Lord. Count me in. I'll come along with you. Um, notice what Jonathan does here. It's not a rash thing that he does. This isn't just some, uh, some, some made-up thing where he's going to just uh, blindly rush into a foolish situation. I mean, he seeks the Lord. Uh, you see that in the Old Testament oftentimes with the Israelites. But he says, look, here's what we're going to do. We're going to discover ourselves. We're going to reveal ourselves to these Philistines. And if they say, hang on a second, we'll come down to where you are, well, then we know that, 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 that the Lord's not in this. But if they say to us, if they call us up, then that's a sign from the Lord that we know that God is in this. And that's exactly what happens. They discover themselves or reveal themselves to the Philistines. And, uh, and the Philistines say, come up here, we will show you a thing. And Jonathan says, basically, see, there it is. It's time to go. We know that the Lord is in this. He's given us his sign. And basically what that shows us is that Jonathan, he had heard from the Lord. He knew that he was doing what the Lord wanted him to do. And so he went forth and he did it. And this armor bearer followed along behind him. I love what he says in uh, verse 7. The armor bearer says, Do all that is in thine heart. Turn thee. Behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. In other words, if you've heard from the Lord and you're moving forward and going to do something for the Lord, if you're going to go into battle and take some ground for the Lord, and if we know it's of him, I'm right there with you. And the armor bearer follows him up. Once they, once they realize that the Lord is in this, they go up in verse 13 and verse 14 and they slay about 20 men. And that stirs up something even greater. Now there's some noise. Now there's some activity. Now something is going on. You've got all these men sitting around. You've got all these men in hiding. You even have men that are over messing around with the Philistines. But all it took was two guys who said, we want to do something for the Lord. They go up. They start to stir things up. And now there's a battle to be fought. And notice that the men that were with Saul joined. And the men that were with the Philistine, the Bible specifically say that they turned in order to join. And then those that were in hiding also came out and followed hard after them in the battle. So the battle is joined. So everybody ultimately got involved. But, but here's, here's where I really want to go with this. And here's what I want you to see. What is it that made the difference for Jonathan? I mean, what is it really that set him apart that made the difference in him compared to all of these other men representing these other three groups. Well, if we read on, we find something that's enlightening. By the way, I meant to say enlightening, and you'll see why in just a moment. Because look what the Bible says. Verse 24, And the men of Israel were distressed that day, for Saul had adjured the people, saying, Cursed be the man that eateth any food until evening, that I may be avenged on mine enemies. So none of the people tasted any food. By the way, might not be the wisest thing to do, prepare for battle, but eat nothing, knowing that you're going to expend, potentially, once you get around to it, a lot of energy to go and fight. Oh, but, you know, don't take any refreshment. You know, don't eat anything. We're going to see the effect that that has on them here in a moment. 
Verse 25, And all they of the land came to a wood, and there was honey upon the ground. And when the people were come into the wood, behold, the honey dropped, but no man put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. But Jonathan heard not when his father charged the people with the oath. By the way, why didn't Jonathan hear it? Well, because he was busy doing something for the Lord, right? He wasn't sitting around under the pomegranate tree. He wants to go forward, get something done. So he doesn't hear Saul make this oath and swear all the people to this, this oath. But verse 27 goes on to say, Wherefore he put forth the end of the rod that was in his hand and dipped it in a honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth. And notice that next phrase. And his eyes were enlightened. His eyes were enlightened. What made the difference in Jonathan? Well, here we have this account as they've joined the battle. He tastes this honey and his eyes were enlightened. Hold your finger in 1 Samuel 14, but go to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. The Bible says in Psalm 19, verse, starting in verse 7, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, and what's the next phrase? Enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, Sweeter also than what? Honey and the honeycomb. Do you see the picture? What is the word of God to us as believers? It is more to be desired than gold, than much fine gold. It is sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. What did Jonathan partake of? He partook of honey from the honeycomb. What does the law of the Lord do? It converts, it, what, what, what is the law of the Lord? It's perfect and it converts the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. It makes wise the simple. Statutes are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord. By the way, these are all synonyms to the word of God. The law, the statutes, the judgments, the commandments, um, and so on. The testimonies. These are all synonyms, if you will, for the word of God. As seen in Psalm 119. And the commandment of the Lord does what? It enlightens the eyes. Jonathan's eyes were enlightened. The picture is this. How often are we guilty of charging into battle without taking the necessary nourishment, spiritually speaking, from the word of God? Without having our eyes enlightened. Without gaining our strength from the word of God. Jonathan, in the physical sense tasted of that honey, and his eyes were enlightened. In other words, he received strength for the work that he was in the process of doing when he partook of that honey. Likewise, we, when we serve the Lord, if we're in his word, if we're in the book, we can be recharged and renewed and refreshed and strengthened for the work that God has called us to do. Psalm 119 and verse 103 The Bible says, how sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. The Bible is likened to honey, and I think that's interesting. Job says in Job 23, verse 12, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. In other words, Job, in other words Job was a man that understood that as important as his physical food was 
for his physical health, so much more so was his spiritual food necessary for his spiritual health. The words of God, to whatever degree Job would have had them at that time, he esteemed the words of his mouth more than his necessary food. Jesus, uh, in Matthew chapter 4, uh, tells the devil, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. He's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 8. So we see how important the word of God is for our nourishment, for our spiritual health, for our spiritual strength. We see that pictured here with Jonathan. Notice what happens then in verse 28. Then answered one of the people and said, Thy father straightly charged the people with an oath, saying, Cursed be the man that eateth any food this day. And notice this next phrase. It says, And the people were faint. Well, I wonder why. Because they'd eaten nothing all day because of this rash oath that Saul had made them all take. They're trying to do this work, but they're faint. They've not had their eyes enlightened by the honey. How often are we guilty of trying to do the work of the Lord and yet becoming faint because we don't avail ourselves to the nourishment and the strength that can be drawn from the word of God? The people were faint. Verse 29 says, Then said Jonathan, My father hath troubled the land. See, I pray you, how mine eyes have been enlightened because I tasted a little of this honey. How much more... If haply the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies, which they found. For had there not been now a much greater slaughter among the Philistines? In other words, how much more of a victory could we have won? How much more could we have accomplished? If only the people would have tasted of the honey, would have eaten of the spoil. If only their eyes had been enlightened, how much more could have been accomplished? And do you see the parallel in the day and age in which we live? How much more could our churches do for the Lord... If the people in our churches would just simply taste the honey and enlighten their eyes through the word of God. But it doesn't even stop there. Look at verse 31. And they smote the Philistines that day from Michmash to Agilon, and the people were very faint. So the first phrase says the people were faint, but then they keep going and they keep going. And even after Jonathan says what he says, they keep going. And now it says they're very faint, but it doesn't even stop there. Look what happens in verse 32. And the people flew upon the spoil and took sheep and oxen and calves and slew them on the ground, and the people did eat them with the blood. Now, I don't want to be gross or graphic, but basically that means they took the animals, the livestock there in the Philistines, and they just simply killed them, cut them open, and dug in, started eating. Now, as every one of these Israelites would have known, that was strictly forbidden by the law, right? In fact, not just the Mosaic Law, that even goes back to however many centuries before the Mosaic Law. Uh, hold your finger here, but look at Genesis chapter 9, all the way back to when Noah and his sons and their wives got off the ark. In Genesis chapter 9, verse 3 God says, every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things, but flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. Now this is expanded upon in the Mosaic Law, Leviticus chapter 17. 
Leviticus 17, and let's start in verse 10. The Bible says, And whatsoever man there be of the house of Israel, or of the strangers that sojourn among you, that eateth any manner of blood, I will even set my face against that soul that eateth blood, and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. It's a direct quote from Genesis 9. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. Therefore I said unto the children of Israel, No soul of you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger that sojourneth among you eat blood. And whatsoever man there be of the children of Israel or of the strangers that sojourn among you, which hunteth and catcheth any beast or fowl that may be eaten, he shall even pour out the blood thereof and cover it with dust. For it is the life of all flesh. The blood of it is for the life thereof. Therefore I said unto the children of Israel, Ye shall eat the blood of no manner of flesh. For the life of all flesh is the blood thereof. Whosoever eateth it shall be cut off. Leviticus 19 and verse 26. Ye shall not eat anything with the blood. So the Bible makes it very clear. And they would have known this. They would have known this, every single one of them would have known that they were not to eat the blood. But what do they do? First, they become faint. And then as the day wears on, they become very faint. And ultimately, by the end of the day, they are so faint and they are so starving and they are so famished that it says they flew upon the spoil. I just picture this, this incredible chaotic scene where they fly upon the spoil and they just start grabbing sheep oxen, calves, you know, whatever livestock is moving around, they just grab one, slew them on the ground, and ate with the blood. You know, if you would have said to these men the day before, do you anticipate that within 24 hours you would kill a calf and just eat it with the blood? They probably would have said, well, no, of course not, absolutely not. But do you see what happens? Do you see the progression? Saul made the vow, they ate nothing, they were faint, they kept going, they were very faint, and by the end of the day, they, were so, they, they, they had so neglected what they needed to sustain themselves for the work, for the battle, that ultimately they fell into what only 24 hours before they would have considered to be just an incredibly gross sin that I would never do that. And yet here they are doing it. You see the picture? What happens when we neglect the word of God? What happens when we as believers try to live this life and try to serve the Lord and try to do all of these things and try to stay faithful and yet we leave this book on the shelf or we leave it on the back seat of the car or we don't crack it open except for an hour on Sunday morning? What happens when we're not in the book? We become spiritually faint. And if we're not careful, if we just keep pressing on, we become spiritually very faint. And if we're not careful and if we keep going and if we keep neglecting, we got to be careful because we could fall into some type of a sin that maybe just a day or two or a week before or whatever, we would say, I would never do that. But what happens when we get out of the book, when we get out of the word of God, when we neglect our daily, what ought to be our daily nourishment? Well, then this progression takes place in our lives. But when we partake of that which is sweeter than honey and the honeycomb, what happens among other things? Our eyes are enlightened and we can see clearly, spiritually, what the Lord would have us do. Uh, th this is such a, a tremendous picture, such a tremendous picture of, uh, 
of what the Bible does for us in our spiritual walk as we see what happened with Jonathan. First of all, just his willingness to go get something done for the Lord, but yet in the process of being willing to take these steps for God and to move out and accomplish something for the Lord, to not neglect the very thing that he would need to give him strength to accomplish that very purpose for which he set out. He tasted of the honey and his eyes were enlightened. As we close, let's go to a New Testament passage here. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. I just want to read here this passage in closing. Paul writes, starting in verse 9, Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. By the way, we have many, many, many wonderful things to look forward to things that we can't even begin to comprehend. Verse 12 says that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom he also trusted. After that, he heard the word of truth. The Bible says in Romans 10, 17, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. After that, ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. So where do we get the spirit of wisdom? Where do we get the knowledge of the revelation of God? We get it through his word, right? Look at verse 18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Notice it doesn't say opened. Our eyes were opened when we got saved. But as we walk with the Lord, what happens every day when we're in the book? Our eyes are enlightened. That ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the, in, in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Now that's a lengthy passage and we could have spent the whole morning preaching just from there, but I want, I want you to draw your attention to that last mention of the eyes being enlightened. And what are they, how are they enlightened? The eyes of our understanding are enlightened when we are in the word of God. The spirit of wisdom and the knowledge of the revelation that only comes from the word of God. It is true 
that these John and Romans are booklets that are assembled for the primary purpose of evangelism. They're marked editions, as you guys know, and they are designed to be given out to people who, in many cases, they don't have a Bible. They've never heard the name of Jesus and uh, missionaries and, and, and distribution teams uh, will hold campaigns and, and they are used so people may have an opportunity to have their eyes opened to the Lord Jesus Christ and have an opportunity to be saved. Hence, the Gospel of John and the Book of Romans in booklet form, but yet our Christian life does not stop there. Praise the Lord, our eyes are, have been opened but we have a continual need to have our eyes enlightened by the word of God as we go through this life. It starts here with souls being saved, but then it moves from there to being in the word of God, to be uh, 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 in the word of God every day. Bearing Precious Seed doesn't just print John and Romans, but they print New Testaments and they print whole Bibles. And yes, those are bound in the print shop, so we don't, even, we don't ever put them together on projects, but sending whole Bibles is just as important, just as necessary. Praise the Lord for a John and Romans, but uh, praise the Lord also for a ministry that desires to get the entire Word of God into the languages of people and send them around the world. But we do our part specifically in assembling the John and Romans. Why? So eyes can be opened. And once eyes are opened, then eyes need to be enlightened by the Word of God. Amen? Are your eyes enlightened by the Word of God? Are you in the Word of God every day? I know it sounds almost cliche to say, you know, read your Bible every day. Read your Bible and pray every day. But, you know, it may be incorporated into children's songs and taught in Sunday school. But, folks, it's just as vital for those of us who have been saved 30, 40, 50, 60 years. We've not arrived. We have to be in the Word of God every day. Amen? Because if we're not... We're not going to have the strength that we need to do what the Lord has called us to do. And as I said before, we don't know when he's coming back. I keep saying, and, and I'm sure your pastor keeps saying, and I'm sure Pastor Horn used to always say, his return is soon. He's coming back. We don't know when. But until he does, we want to stay faithful, serving him, following him, doing the work of the ministry. We hope that message was an encouragement to you. To stay up to date with us, please follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC Schenectady. If you would like more information on how heaven can be your home, please visit lighthousebaptist.org slash the gospel.